We don't know exactly what's been going on, but it seems that he's just been mainly uh, laboring in faithful obscurity. And when we think about laboring in faithful obscurity, um, does it sound appealing to us? We want things to do, lights, action, recognition, but Jesus plots a course forward for us. But now in Matthew 3, it's time to go public, the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Um, and Matthew tells us that he was about 30 years, or Luke tells us he's about 30 years of age, uh, had been a stonemasonry carpenter in his family's business, but everything now is about to change. And let me pray for us and ask God to bless our time. Lord, it's a short little passage, but all your truth is relevant. It's timely, and particularly this one this morning for us, as we're toiling and laboring, a lot of us just in obscurity, um, not connected to the larger outside world, just trying to be faithful in what you called us to do. Let us learn now from the ministry of Jesus in that way and bless our time in your name. Amen. So Matthew 3 opens with telling us that in those days, John the Baptist, and again, for the readers of Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist would have needed very little introduction. He was a national sensation. Um, some of you were around for uh, the Beatles invading America in the, in the early 60s and what a national sensation that was. Um, it was, it was Celebrityville. And in, in the same sort of way, John the Baptist, his appearance had that effect. Not only was he this wilderness wild man who appeared along the Jordan, um, he had been most likely residing in the desert. Some of the theories say he was part of the Essene community. He had been sent out there to train and live as sort of a, um, a, a monastic. But the big piece here is that it had been 400 years since God had spoken to the people of Israel through the prophets or through his kings. 400 years of silence and during that time there had been an exile uh, the king had been deposed god um, had seemingly been silent um, and so when john the baptist appears on the scene he represents the last old testament prophet jesus later tells us um, no one greater born of women was john the baptist he was the greatest of all the prophets and he came into the wilderness just like Elijah and others before him preaching um, repentance, preaching the coming of the kingdom of God, that the Messiah, the anointed one, was, was coming and he was there to prepare the way. And what we see is people coming out to him, uh, hearing this call that God's kingdom is coming, it's approaching, and they're being called to reflect, to confess their sins, to repent, and to be baptized. Now, interesting thing about baptism, it was a common Jewish rite at this time. It was a ceremonial cleansing and um, people would would engage in it maybe before eating or before going to worship. Um, it was an it was a there was a hygiene factor certainly but there was it was primarily a sign of what God was doing in the heart. And so even though circumcision was still on um, the, the the playing field at this point, this baptism was engaged in by Jews as part of a, their ceremonial cleansing to worship, to eat, to other things. And John was using the 
the water in the Jordan to baptize. People were confessing their sins, they were repenting, they were wanting to get their hearts right with God. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that it tells us uh, in verse 7 that he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to find out what in the world was going on. And to understand John the Baptist's confrontation with the Jewish leaders here, we have to understand what, what's been happening, okay? Remember, there was no king. There were no prophets. The Israelites had been in exile. They had returned home. Um, there had not been any additional words or revelations from the Lord. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were sort of stewards. They, they actually had very noble beginnings where they rose up, primarily the Pharisees, to keep, sort of keep the torch burning. They were, to use another Lord of the Rings analogy here, that and Star Wars in the same morning is, is a little too much, I know. But they were, he was, they were the stewards of Gondor, not the king. They were awaiting for the king to come back. Um, but they were 400 years, and they had set up synagogues and helped the people of God to remain faithful. But over time, over time, the, um, you know, you've, you've heard me say before, and I stole it from somebody, you know, tra tradition is the living faith of the dead. And that's essentially what the Pharisees started off to do, to preserve the living faith of their forefathers. Um, but tradition can easily become traditionalism, which is, the, which is the dead faith of the living, not the living faith of the dead, uh, but the dead faith of the living. And this is what had happened in, in Second Temple Judaism. Um, they had forgotten what they were there for. They forgotten that they were just stewards to point the way to God, and they got invested with a lot of power, and um, they took on improper ownership, and it became about them and preserving their place in society and looking good. And again, it didn't all happen at once; it all happened gradually over a period of 400 years. And we know from John chapter one that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to the wilderness to see what was going on, it, it, it wasn't to be a part of what was happening. It wasn't to submit themselves to God, um, to recognize John's uh, prophetic um, appearance. It, they weren't there to confess their sins and repent and be baptized. Why would they want to confess their sins and repent and be baptized? They were the ones in charge. Um, they actually came out to observe, to render judgment. They were out of there, out there of in terms of curiosity and concern. And this explains why, okay, John gives them such a rude reception. Look at verse seven. Um, he says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, brood of vipers, you, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You, um, a brood of vipers, you know, you don't always see the pit of vipers until when you step into the pit and then it's too late. And, and they were coming in this spirit of, of haughtiness, of pride, of judgment. And, and, and they thought more highly of themselves than they ought. And it gave John the opportunity to say, you think that being children of Abraham is the, is the pinnacle. Let, let me tell you, God can take a stone and give it life and make it praise himself. So, so, so this is not an opportunity for, for you to be haughty, 
prideful, to sit in judgment, okay? You're showing that the Spirit of God is not in you. Um, but he's, so, so, so he's, he's giving them this, this, this chastisement. But embedded in this, okay, is the call for even them to repent. And we do know later that many Pharisees, scribes, Levitical priests, they, they do, people like Nicodemus, they do end up repenting. This is why he tells them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, okay? But the time is short. That's why he says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. One of the things we learn about this is that it's never too late to repent, okay? Um, from, from, from the perspective, humanly speaking, from the call to repent, the Pharisees, regardless of where they've been, now have that opportunity. It's always in front of them. And folks, always remember, people we're praying for, um, people that seemingly have been hardened, drifted away from the Lord, we may even think about um, situations in our own life where our own sin and disobedience has wrought a lot of destruction and havoc that repentance won't do me any good, or it's too late, or um, it's too much trouble, or it won't bear fruit, or, or whatever the case may be. And again, it doesn't mean there's not consequences for sin, but what it does mean is that, that John the Baptist comes to us, or really John the Baptist, through the spirit of Jesus Christ, in a sense, comes to us every day, calling us to bend our knee, calling us to submit ourselves to God. And regardless of where we've been, what we've done, it's more important about what we do now and what we do next. And this is why we see Jesus over and over and over and over confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not because he didn't love them, but because he did love them. So, so this is kind of what we see here in John, first part of John 3. In the second part of John 3, we have, interestingly enough, the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus comes to be baptized by John, um, all sorts of questions go through our mind. And they're the same questions that went, obviously went through John the Baptist's mind, which is, why, Jesus? Why are you here to be baptized? Um, you're not sinful. Um, there's nothing for you to repent of. I should be being baptized by you. But interestingly, we find Jesus saying something very interesting in verse 15 in chapter 3. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, now what does that mean? Well, we have to understand that part of Jesus's his mission and ministry to ransom lost sinners was he was to die in their place, okay? He was to be their representative. He was to live the perfect life they and us and we could not live, which meant that when he came, he was a faithful Jew. He had to, he lived and walked in obedience and in humility, which is why we see instances in the gospels, for example, where um, the, 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 um, religious leaders come to Peter and say, why doesn't Jesus pay the temple tax? And Jesus is saying, we, we do pay the temple tax. And Peter, go get the temple tax. I'm going to put it in the, in the mouth of this fish that you're going to catch. We don't want to, uh, we want, we, we don't want to, to cause a stumbling block here. We want to fulfill all righteousness, which means that what's driving Jesus here to be baptized is not his desire to look good. It's not his desire to make peace with the Pharisees. What he's doing 
is that he is walking in faithfulness as a faithful Jew, and he is representing us in the obedience of the law. And, and we see this time and time again. Why was Jesus circumcised? Because God had commanded it in the Old Testament. Why did God, why did Jesus ostensibly or command the people of, of, of Judea to give taxes to Caesar? Because God had commanded it. Uh, same thing with the temple tax. And so when he says to fulfill all righteousness, it's not merely in the eyes of men, okay? It is in the eyes of God to say, I am going to live in active obedience on behalf of my people. I'm going to do what they could not do. I am going um, to fulfill all righteousness. I am going to be standing in their place, even though I don't have personal need, right? Of, of baptism, um, as a human, as a Jew, I am walking in obedience for what God calls all the Jewish people to do. So this is really important because what's going to happen is that in chapter four, we see the stakes go up immensely. That Jesus is now not merely um, uh, as part of his passive obedience, deciding to be baptized, but he's going to actively obey um, his father as he goes into the wilderness, is tempted by Satan. He is going to stand in the place of us. He's going to stand in the place of Adam, who could not resist the temptations okay, of the evil one, and he is going to fulfill all righteousness there. So, so that seems to be the essence of what's happening in the baptism of Jesus. And of course, it's an inauguration of his public ministry. And from this time forward, Jesus is on a laser focus to seek and save that which is lost. That is his primary purpose. And we're gonna see that as he walks this path obediently and faithfully. And for us, we can learn from here, right? That, that as we follow the path of Jesus, um, we will inevitably fail, fail miserably, be disobedient, have hardened hearts, yet at the same time, being called to faithfully turn to him and repent from our sins, which he lovingly, gladly um, welcomes us into his embrace. Imagine what his response would have been or was when people did want to repent, right? When some of the Pharisees later did want to repent. And so super encouragement for us today. Um, we'll be back here, same time, same station tomorrow, Matthew chapter four. Be sure to read it, get the audio app, uh, dwell on the Four Oaks uh, Killarn um, COVID-19 update page. And hope you guys have a great day. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your living, abiding word. Thank you that we have had one go before us Jesus, who lived in our place. Jesus, who obeyed the law perfectly. Jesus, who fulfilled all righteousness. And Lord, it's very easy, very tempting to cast judgment, aspersion upon the Pharisees. When, but we need to realize this morning that that is us. That is our hearts. That is our hypocrisy. And we want to hear your voice today and turn and repent and trust in Jesus. Lord, it's in his name that we pray. 